Welcome to the Marketing Agility Podcast, where we discuss all things related to the growing field of agile marketing. This podcast is co-produced by Frank Days and the Agile Marketing Alliance so that we can learn, share, and grow together. I'm Jim Yule, your host for today's episode. Joining us is Dominica DeGrandis, the author of Making Work Visible, Exposing Time Theft to Optimize Work and Flow. Dominica, thank you for being here. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. In this episode, we're going to talk about how teams fail to optimize their workflows and they waste time and what to do about it. So let's get started. Dominica, let's start with the obvious. Why is it important to make work visible rather than just keeping checklists or having systems that have tickets of work to be done? Making work visible is one of the most fundamental things you can do to improve your workflow because the human brain is designed to find meaningful patterns and structure in what is perceived through vision. And most people with eyesight are, uh, most sighted people are visual learners. And if the right hemisphere isn't activated or engaged, then attention is going to be poor. And it's why meetings are more compelling for about two thirds of your team when there's something interesting to look at. If your work is visible in your tool set, then you can measure it. You can measure the flow of that work that is moving through a value stream. And once you have metrics, then you have that data provides you with some credibility to help you begin the conversation on changing, on improving your flow. I think it helps you enable change to have that data. And also the metrics can give business teams and technology teams kind of a shared language so that you can actually have communicate and understand what each other is saying. Like if work is invisible, there's no evidence of the problems. And I think we need evidence for change. In your book, you describe what you call the five thieves of time, okay? Too much work in progress, unknown dependencies, unplanned work, conflicting priorities, and neglected work. Let's take the first one, too much work in progress. Why do people take on too much work? And why is that a problem? There's several reasons people take on too much work in progress. The top ones are that we want to be valuable. We want to we want to provide value. We want to be a team player. We don't want to let the team down. So so we pull we pull all all nighters off for the team in some cases. Right. We take on too much work because the boss has asked us to. Right. And it's really hard to say no. It's especially hard to say no to the boss. We take on too much work because it's the latest shiny new thing. And we want to actually, we're really excited and motivated to do that thing. So we take that on. We take on too much work because we don't know how big of a thing it is when we start. We don't, we, we don't understand all the dependencies. We don't realize all the different components that are necessary to complete the thing. And so we say yes. And then, you know, then we're overloaded. 
with with way too much stuff to do. We take on too much work, but because um, maybe we're people pleasers and we just do, we don't want to let anybody down. There's, there's a variety of reasons why we take on too much work. And the, the biggest problem of taking on too much work is that then we have this cognitive overload. Right. Right. I'm currently working with about 100 teams from this large retail organization. And last week's team was a infrastructure team, a networking team, and there's 13 people on the team. And their their work their whip their work in progress is 117. So that's an average of about nine per person. And so I asked them, how do you juggle nine things at a time? Well, they don't really. Right. They said they they're working on one thing, and they set aside the other work. Uh, until they're done with that thing, and then they'll pick the next thing up. Uh, and so 40% of their whip sits idle. 40% of their whip is right. in a is in a wait state, right? right? And so the reason that measuring whip is so important is that, well, one reason outside of the cognitive overload and what that does to it's a contributor to to burnout it can be um but whip is so important because it's a leading indicator like for for your speed metrics those are lagging indicators like you don't know how long something took to do until it's done when with if you have way too much whip then that is a leading indicator that you're going to have neglected whip and that things when they do complete they're going to take longer than you thought. If we've got too much whip, we obviously need to reduce it and 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 limit the amount of work in progress. So you have, you have some exercises in your book. And in one of them on setting whip limits, I was struck by the need to have 30 days of data about, you know, what's the average weekly throughput of your team and what's the current amount of whip and all that sort of thing. And most marketing teams at least that I've worked with, don't have this data. And the other challenge that they have is that their deliverables vary so much in size. You know, like creating a television marketing campaign takes much more time than creating a social media post. So do you have any recommendations for marketing teams on setting WIP limits if they don't have that much data and and how they track their progress in limiting WIPs? You know, I used to work on a marketing team. Yeah. <laughs> And the problems are very similar to many other kinds of teams in that they're overloaded. They have conflicting priorities. There's dependencies. The, uh, there's way too many initiatives. And, and the executive might have urgent requests that they want done or questions anyway. So my answer on, first of all, when it comes to trying to find the right amount of whip, like how do, how should you go about setting whip limits? Um, my answer may be a little bit different than, than others, but I, I think a simple approach is to ask, well, how much do you have now? I mean, to, to, first of all, to make the work visible, hopefully in some kind of tool set somewhere. And then because then you'll be able to query, show me everything that's in progress or that's been started but not finished yet. And then and then step back and look at that 
and say, does it make sense? Does it make sense for this marketing team of 11 people to have 13 initiatives going on this year? No, <laughs> probably right. not, right? Probably not. You can have you can discuss more about why when you measure how long in these initiatives, great big initiatives take to do, you know, and right. if, if there's an expectation that 11 of them are going to get done by the end of the year, but last year we barely got five initiatives done. You have some historical data to back that up. If you just make your work visible now and count up how much you have, whether that's an initiative or an epic or a feature, either there's different sizes of work. That's why engineering teams have features and stories and tasks and subtasks and programs and initiatives so that you you can measure the unit of value in whatever work item type that is carried by that. But that that's what you want to measure is, is, um, so if you've got great big, huge initiatives that you want to measure and you've got smaller things that uh, you want to measure, then you would just have different, usually different work item types, different sort of categories of work, initiatives, features, epics, stories, tasks, and then measure those types of work, apples to apples. So, so whatever it is that brings is is the unit of value that you're measuring at this point in time say it's a feature then and and if you feel like you've got too many then just then reduce the number of features that you have until it's a more balanced try and balance all the demand with the capacity of the team just trying to find this balance versus this onslaught of way way too much demand and maybe uh, together with that, allocate capacity for different types of work because marketing teams aren't just working on new initiatives. Hopefully there is process improvements within the marketing team that need to be made to reduce the pain that comes about from conflicting priorities and dependencies or how long it takes to get something out the door. I like to advise teams to make sure that there's always some capacity that is allocated for improvements or for experimentation. Yeah, that's an interesting point because too often we are just focused on getting stuff out the door, you know, producing more marketing materials or just producing whatever, you know, management has dumped on us or whatever. And what you're saying is reserve some capacity for improving your process. Don't don't try to allocate 100% of your capacity to just getting stuff out the door. Yeah. 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 You know, where's the pain points right now? What prevents a team from getting their work done? Are, are there, do blogs go out that you don't get much activity from what, you know, what's the quality, maybe the quality of the, of the writing needs to be improved, or maybe there's a, a shift or a change in how you're doing some campaigns right now that you want to try to do differently. Maybe you want to experiment using a different approach. Well, ensure that 
you have teams have time to experiment and and think and reflect uh, so that they can improve what they're doing and feel better about it and be happier about it. I mean, and that kind of gets to another point, which is people who are overloaded usually aren't doing their best work, you know, that they are so because when they're overloaded, they're not happy, they're tired, they're whatever, they may not, you know, be doing the best work, you need to take some time to both sharpen the saw and to allow people to, you know, focus and 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 do what they need to do. Um, let's talk about your third thief. Okay. Unplanned work. Now, let me tell you, this is one of the biggest challenges for many marketing teams. An executive shows up and they just airdrop a ton of work on the marketing manager's desk. Right. And of course, everything has to be done tomorrow. What are your suggestions for dealing with this thief when executives make these kinds of requests and, and, and drop unplanned work on your desk? Yeah. yeah. Well, we need to we need to expose unplanned work and we need to define unplanned work clearly i found that it's it means different things to some people uh, so my definition of unplanned work is work that truly just blindsides people like there's no way we could have anticipated this coming our way which is different than some things that you can you can kind of expect that maybe you'll be interrupted on. I don't know what's something you get interrupted on all the time in marketing. Like yeah, something happens in the marketplace, and you know you've got to do a response to it. You have a competitor doing something, and and yeah. uh, they announce something, and you've got to respond. Whatever. Yeah, so yeah. or even just feedback, feedback on a recent um, white paper that went out or something. Right. Uh, so I, I first define it really clearly, and I think that discussion with the team will be valuable in identifying their kind of unplanned work and the impacts to them, uh, and then recognize that unplanned work delays planned work, and maybe even start tracking the amount of unplanned work that the teams have. What is the ratio of planned work versus unplanned work? Right. And how much of that is contributed by, what was your example? Executive comes by and, and drops this new thing on, on the table. Right. Uh, maybe track the nature of the unplanned work. Was this a revenue generation type of request? Was this a production issue that needed to be fixed? Um, was this like a major risk to the business that needed to be addressed? I have found, though, that there is sometimes a perception that when an executive asks a question, that it's perceived automatically as demand, as a request to actually do something. When the executive was merely asking a hypothetical question of, like, if I wanted to do this, how long might it take? Right. Uh, we see that more often than than you'd think, and people just assuming that oh, this is now the new highest priority, and I have to drop everything else and work on it. When, when that may not be the case. So I think just because an executive comes by and and it sounds like there's a you know do this now, maybe maybe just think for a moment. Do you mean you want me to stop working on A to work on B now? Is that is, has, has there been a change in priorities? Because you know that if we do work on B now, it's going to delay A. Is that is that what you want? 
Right. Yeah, I, I do think asking those kinds of questions is can be very effective because I think a lot of times executives may not understand the impact of their of what they're asking. And when they do understand the impact, then they can make the trade-off, okay, mm-hmm. uh, in doing these things. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about the fourth thief, conflicting priorities. Again, I... <laughs> This will resonate with many marketing teams, okay? Um, They get requests for things and typically everything is important. So do you have any tips for dealing with this thief and Uh, and prioritization? Conflicting priorities is kind of a close cousin of unplanned work and neglected work because it does insert context switching into the, the picture and and more, it also inserts too much whip. Because if people are unclear, like are we supposed to do A or or B now? I mean, if the answer to that is yes, then that's a problem. <laughs> now people have more whip, so they're not gonna have as much time to dedicate to each one. So right. quality's likely gonna drop and uh, or things might be late. It's probably the time thief that plagues me the most just because there's so many things to do and a lot of them I want to do sometimes we set ourselves up for having conflicting priorities and and too much whip it's not always pushed downhill on us but I think that capturing how long things take and then like if you have conflicting priorities and now you're supposed to work on both things that they will likely, you could show evidence in the event that it took longer than if you just did one at a time. Right. So capturing that speed metric, we call that flow time. And then using that to build a case for the probability of how long things are going to take so that it help it could help executives prioritize easier. So for example, if you know that the marketing team's capacity is to do X number of whatever initiatives, epics, programs, uh, features in so many days, then you can show that this type of request in general takes, I don't know, whatever, 42 days. And our marketing team has right now we can pull in one more thing this month, knowing that it's going to take approximately 42 days, which thing would you like to have delivered first? Right. And I think prioritization is a decision that needs to get pushed back upstream to the requesters so that they can identify, they can build a business case for what makes sense for this business to deliver sooner rather than later. Or is this kind of like a pet project um, that may not be the best business use case right now? Definitely seen that happen. Thank you, Domenica, for sharing your wisdom today. It's always great to hear how people handle optimizing their work and getting things done in every industry. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. All right. Thanks for listening to our show today. 